But I want to welcome you to New Hope Chapel's Sunday morning praise and worship service. And of course, also, I want to welcome those of you online. My sermon title is Your Kingdom Come. My text is the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 6, verse 10. I'm using the New King James. You know, as I said before, at the call to worship, I was talking about how Matthew 6, verses 9 through 13, Jesus taught the disciples about prayer, and he gave them a model prayer. Our text, Matthew 6, 10, is right in between. I'm not, I'm not here, by the way, if it's for me. That's okay. Anyway, my sermon title, my text, and my outline is printed in your handouts for easy reference. Quickly, Matthew 6.10 reads this. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You know, in, in this verse, the Lord Jesus has obviously given us three thoughts to consider. To repeat these thoughts, we have first, Jesus wants us to know about your kingdom come. And number two, he's saying your will be done. And third, on earth as it is in heaven. So my prayer for us, for you, is that we are here this morning to listen to his thoughts. So, dear Lord, this morning, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. Amen. What if the entire world was Disney World? Think about it. Everything would be clean. Everybody would be nice. All news would be good news. The only work would be play, and the only object would be fun. And life, of course, in Disney World is worth a thrill a minute. There's only one problem. Most of the world could not afford to get in. Well, I want to tell you about a kingdom this morning. It's not the magic kingdom, but the master's kingdom. It's the kingdom where the Christ is king and Jesus is Lord. A kingdom where there is no war, just peace, no sadness, just joy, no sickness, just health, no death, just life, no hatred, just love, no fear, just faith. A kingdom where the lion lies down with the lamb, where the child plays with the snake, where the wolf feeds with the sheep, not on them. It is called in the Bible the kingdom of God. It is a kingdom where God's will is always done. Now, if you believe in this kingdom and its king, if you believe that Father knows best and God's will is always right, then this is one part of the Lord's Prayer you should gladly pray anytime, any place, under any circumstance. But heed this warning. You need to understand what you're asking for when you pray this part of the Lord's Prayer. For if you are backslidden, carnal, lukewarm, rebellious, apathetic, or out of the will of God, this prayer could be hazardous to your spiritual 
condition. For if you pray this prayer, and you understand what you are praying, and you mean it when you're praying it, you are agreeing to do three things. First, surrender to the control of the king. You know, it's not surprising that in verse 10, our text, Jesus taught us to pray first, your kingdom come. The kingdom of God was Jesus' favorite message. As a matter of fact, he said in Luke 4.43, I must preach the kingdom of God to the other cities also, because for this purpose I have been sent. The first sermon that Jesus ever preached was about the kingdom of God. What was the last subject that Jesus spoke about to the disciples just before he ascended? In Acts 1.3 we are told, that he was speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Now, it's obvious that the kingdom of God does not refer so much to a geographical area as it does to spiritual sovereignty. The world kingdom refers to rule or reign. Every kingdom has a king, and every king has a throne. See, the throne is the seed of authority from where the king rules and from where he reigns. When you pray, your kingdom come, you're really praying for two things to take place. First, the Lord to be enthroned. What do the subjects of a kingdom do? It's so simple. They do the will of the king. You see, a son obeys a father because he wants to. A servant obeys his master because he needs to, but a subject obeys his king because he has to. In a kingdom, the king is in control and his will is both supreme and sovereign. The happiest in the kingdom are those who are surrendered to the control of the king. You know, Kathy and I, had the privilege of visiting Russia three years ago. And in the course of our trip, we visited many Russian Orthodox churches. And on one such visit, I I engaged a young English-speaking man who was obviously worshiping. And I engaged him in a conversation about his view of Jesus. I was surprised because he immediately proclaimed Jesus was his Savior. And we began to talk about the differences between the American church and the Russian church. And he said something to me that really struck home. He said, you Americans talk about commitment to Jesus. But we in Russia talk about surrender to Jesus. I said, what's the difference? He said, when you make a commitment to someone... You remain in control. You decide what you're going to do, and then you do it. But when you surrender, you put the other person in control, and they decide what you're going to do, and then you do it. And he finished with this. You Americans need to get away from commitment and move toward surrender. I'll add one final thought. You know, words can be just words. We often speak 
of surrender to Jesus. But what we give is commitment. We must let God decide what we are going to do and then do it. You see, your heart is the throne. You cannot make Christ the king of your life until you abdicate the throne of your heart. You cannot pray, thy kingdom come, until you first pray, my kingdom go. You know, back in the days of kingdoms, castles, and knights in shiny armor, there was a kingly custom, and it continues today, to let the people know when, when the king was home. It was said, that when, when the king was on the throne, the colors of the king, the royal flag would be waving from the top of the castle. It has been said and sung that joy is the flag that flies from the castle of a Christian's heart when Jesus is on the throne. When you pray, your kingdom come, you are praying that the Lord be enthroned in your life. Second, Second thing you pray for is the lost to be evangelized. See, there is a flip side to this prayer. You see, when you pray, your kingdom come, you not only want to be right with the king, you not only want the Lord Jesus to be on the throne of your heart, but you want him for other people. In 1516, Thomas More wrote a book entitled Utopia. In that book, he described an imaginary ideal society free of poverty, suffering, pain, and sorrow. The word comes from a Greek word that literally means no place. That is, there is no place like it. Well, we all know that utopia is a dream. But there is a state better than utopia that is real. It's called the kingdom of God. Can you imagine what it would be like if Jesus were ruling as king and Lord over every life? Can you imagine what it would be like if every single human being on the face of the earth would surrender their lives to the control of King Jesus? It wouldn't be utopia. It would be heaven. But you cannot experience the kingdom nor enjoy the kingdom until you first enter the kingdom. And you enter the kingdom by conversion. Jesus said in Matthew 18, 3, Assuredly, I say to you, unless you are converted and become as little children, that is trusting and obeying, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. And so when you pray for God's kingdom to, to come, you are praying for others to surrender to the control of the king. You are praying for others to put King Jesus on the throne of their hearts and surrender their lives to him. Remember, your king has commanded you to bring others into his kingdom. Now, you may remember in Greek mythology the story of a goddess who, wishing to make her child Achilles immortal, dipped him beneath the waters of the river Styx. She totally submerged his body into that river with the exception of his heel, because that's where she was holding him. If you remember, it was that unsubmerged heel 
that Achilles was mortally wounded in. Listen. The only part of your life that is vulnerable to Satan, the only part of this world where the devil can get a foothold is that part that has not been surrendered totally to the lordship of Jesus Christ. And second in your outline, submit to the command of the king. You know, after you pray for the kingdom to come, you then pray, secondly, your will be done. It's only natural to pray for the king's will be done after you pray for his kingdom to come. These four words, your will be done, really lay the foundation of all true prayer. First, it describes the purpose of prayer. The purpose of prayer is not to get man's will done in heaven. It is to get God's will done on earth. Of course, the questions sometimes are, if God's will is always done, why bother to pray? Well, my response is this. Prayerlessness hinders the will of God, for it is God's will that we pray, and God uses prayer to work his will. You see... Prayer is not getting God to do what he does not want to do. It is releasing him to do what he does want to do. One of the greatest prayer promises in all the Bible is 1 John 5.14, which states, Now this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. But that leads me to say this, God's will is not always done. When we speak of the will of God, we need to remember that God's will falls into three categories. First of all, there is God's providential will. There are times when we read a statement like this in Scripture, Isaiah 14.24. The Lord of hosts has sworn, saying, Surely as I have thought, so it shall come to pass. And as I have purposed, so it shall stand. In a real sense, that is true. God's ultimate will is for this world to end, for Satan to be defeated, for Jesus to return, and for the saints to rule this universe. All of history is inexorably moving to this climactic moment when Jesus comes not to take sides, but to take over. Listen, nothing can stop God's providential will from becoming ultimately a reality. But then, there is God's personal will, his desire. Now, this part of God's will is not always done. Example, 1 Timothy 2.4 states that God desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. It is not God's will that anyone be lost. But most of the world is lost. Or listen to 2 Peter 3.9. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. It is not God's will for anyone to die and go to hell. But people do so every day. 
It is the heart of God that every creature accept Christ as Lord and Savior and receive eternal life. But that is one desire in the heart of God. That will not happen. And then finally, God has a commanding will. Now this is God's will for his children to obey him and keep his commands. For example, 1 Thessalonians 4, 2 and 3 says this, For you know what commandments we gave you through the Lord Jesus, for this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality. See, God wants his children to remain sexually pure until their wedding night. But not every Christian has remained sexually pure. And then consider 1 Thessalonians 5.18, which says, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. But we are certainly not always thankful. Many times, instead of being humbly grateful, we are grumbly hateful. And so we have learned, on the one hand, that prayer is not meaningless. It pays to pray for it. It, it not only, it's not only God's will that we pray, but prayer moves God to respond according to his will. But on the other hand, prayer is not manipulative. As John MacArthur put it, quote, People look at prayer as a means of bending God's will to their own. They think of God's providence as a sort of cosmic vending machine which they can operate simply by inserting the required claim on one of his promises. End of quote. That is called name it and claim it. But true prayer does not focus on our wants, but on God's will. Second, it defines the priority of prayer. See, prayer should only have one priority. Not to get God to do what you want, but for you to want what God wants and then ask him for it. You know, one of the most misunderstood verses in all of Scripture is Psalm 37, verse 4. It states, Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Now that is not some kind of divine Aladdin's lamp where you can just say, Lord, I delight in you, now give me what I want. Note carefully that the delight comes before the desire. Delight. Do you know what it means? Delight to delight in the Lord, it means to desire what he desires. When you desire what he desires, then he will give you the desire of your heart, for it is really the desire of his heart. If you will pray this part of the Lord's Prayer, your will be done and really mean it. It will remove all selfishness and self-centeredness from your praying. And that's why many of us have prayers that go unanswered, because as James put it, in James 4.3, you ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. 
Far too often, instead of praying, not my will, but thine be done, our hearts actually pray, not thy will, but mine be done. I want you to understand this. I want you to understand that these first two sentences in verse 10 of the Lord's Prayer are inseparably and inextricably interwoven. It is not a coincidence that after you pray, hallowed be your name in verse 9, that then you pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. Because you have no right to pray for anything that dishonors his name, defiles his kingdom, or disturbs his will. Many here say special prayers for loved ones who are in crises. May I tell you that the best prayer that you can pray for anyone in any situation at any time, in any place, is this one. Your will be done. Because his will is always right, and it is always best. Also, please learn that the will of God is not something you have to do. It is something you get to do. God only wants for you what you would want for yourself if you had the good sense to want it. You know, one of the greatest earthly kings who have ever lived, King David, said in Psalm 40, verse 8, I delight to do your will, O my God, and your law is within my heart. He had read the word of God, learned the ways of God, developed a walk with God, and he knew that God's way was the best way and the right way. Third in your outline, seek the coming of the king. It is not enough just to pray for God's kingdom to come and God's will to be done. We must pray that this will happen third on earth as it is in heaven. We would all agree that if God's will was being done on earth as it is in heaven, this world would be a much better place in which we live because there is no war in heaven, there is no sorrow in heaven, there are no tears in heaven. But all you have to do is pick up the newspaper and check out the headlines or turn on the TV news and you will know immediately that God's will is not being done on earth as it is in heaven. In fact, one of the key differences between heaven and earth is that God's will is always done in heaven. In fact, the supreme desire of heaven is to see the will of God to be done. Did you know that angels only have one item in their job description? For all eternity, all angels have ever done and all angels ever will do is simply what God wants to be done. Listen to Psalm 103, verses 20 and 21. Bless the Lord, you his angels, who excel in strength, who do his word, heeding the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all of you, his hosts, you ministers of his, who do his pleasure. 
Now think about this. The king is inseparable from his kingdom. Again, if you pray for the kingdom to come, you are praying that the king comes. And when the angel Gabriel announced the birth of the Lord Jesus, he gave this prophecy. Luke 1, verses 32 and 33. He will be great and will be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there will be no end. Now that prophecy has yet to be fulfilled. But I want to give you some wonderful news. Just as surely as the sun rises in the east and sets in the west, it will be. I believe the apostle John must have jumped out of his sandals when he heard the angel say in Revelation eleven fifteen. The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. And he shall reign forever and ever. Paul Harvey was a great radio commentator. He once said that before he died, there was two broadcasts he would like to give. On the cure of cancer and on the second coming of Christ. He said, I'd like to be here for those two. When asked if he thought he would, he said, I sure do. Well, I know Paul Harvey did not get his wish. But I do know this. When Jesus comes back, I will either be coming with him or I will be going with him forever to praise, worship, love, and serve him in his kingdom. What is it that you know? Amen? Service is over. Go out this week and fully begin to surrender to the lordship of Jesus Christ. You know, let his flag fly high from the castle of your heart. Be joyful. And let the world see it, pandemic or not. Amen.